You can hear me okay out there. We thought we'd uh, try the stage up here so you can actually see us and uh, we can see you. So we'll see how this goes. Well, good morning. Has anybody ever received a gift that maybe looks a little different than it did in the store or in the picture? And when it shows up, it has these uh, big letters across the box and it says assembly required. Anybody ever got one of those things or you bought something that assembly's required? Kind of like a barbecue? All right, do I have some dads in the house that like barbecuing? All right, so you get the barbecue in the box, right? And it says assembly required. And for some of us, maybe that's just a challenge. You know, the challenge is, can you build it really quickly without reading the instructions? Am I right? Has anybody ever tried that? All right, so kind of you get to the end and you have extra pieces. It takes you twice as long as the instructions said it would. And it usually doesn't work as well. Am I right? And then you kind of have to go back, reread the instructions, and then fix whatever is not working. All right. Is that you guys? You've been there before? All right. Well, if, um, if you're a dad in the house and you have a father here and, and they're the kind that probably shouldn't be assembling something, I'm just going to encourage you when you buy something for them, just make sure it doesn't say assembly required, okay, on the box. <laughs> Save everybody a headache. Okay, we're not going to just talk about barbecues and opening gifts this morning, but we are going to talk about managing money. And money is my wheelhouse. For those of you that don't know, I've spent the last 13 years of my career actually working in finance. More specifically, I focus on financial planning and wealth management. I love it. Finance has always been something that's intrigued me. And yes, even as a Christian. You know, the Bible talks about money a lot. Actually, more than heaven and hell combined. It's kind of a big deal. So for us, There's some key things to who we are as believers and what God has for us linked to finance. And I want to dive in this morning and we're going to lay a pretty broad foundation. So bear with me. I I trust that you'll follow through some of these points, but there's a lot of content. But I want to say that God has something for us in it and he wants us to get it right so that we don't have to go back to the instructions his word, and start from scratch again. So if we start looking at his word first and build a good foundation, hey, things are going to work, right? We're going to be able to barbecue meat and it's going to have some sweet aroma. All right. Okay. So I want to look at three and start with three foundational truths. These are things that we really must establish in the context of managing money God's way. These are things that if we don't get them right, we actually will not understand finance or how to manage money. Uh, We just won't get it. We'll have a slim revelation, but we won't be able to understand the scope of what God has for us. And the first one is this, and you're all going to love this one. And it's this, that you are favored for success. Now, that might be hard to believe, but believe it. You're actually favored for success. God's intent is to bless you and show you favor. Now, I'm not going to start the prosperity gospel and stay in this point, but I want to assure you that this is what God has for us. So let's read some scripture. Proverbs 3, 1 to 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Read the manual. 
For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. What's he saying? Stay in love with Jesus. Walk in his ways. Be faithful to him. What else does he say here? Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. I love what it says in the ESV. It says, you will win favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Friends, our heavenly father is good. We serve a good God and his desire is to grant you favor and success. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say that you have been granted favor and success. Tell them. Tell somebody. I really believe that there's people that need to hear that here today. I really do. I believe that we don't hear that enough and we settle for a poverty mentality and we just, it's hard to believe that God is good. But I want to say God has favored you for success. He really has. It doesn't mean it's going to come easy. It doesn't mean it's just going to fall on your lap. The scripture is clear that he's called us to work and that he has things for us to do and that faithfulness is rewarded. But nonetheless, God wants to grant you favor and success. But if we want to walk in this favor, if we want to walk in the favor of our king, friends, we need to follow through with his ways. Remember, in his kingdom, his favor is released through his ways, not ours. So learning his ways is so important for us. So the first point is that we are favored for success. And I want to read another scripture and of which I'm going to continue to expand on. And I want to read in 2 Corinthians 9. And the context of this is the Apostle Paul's writing to a body of believers in the church of Corinth. And he's teaching them about God's ways. And he's teaching them actually in the context of offering. But there's a lot of truth in this that we can glean from and learn how to manage money God's ways. So let's have a look. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So you can see very clearly in this, the first core truth that we've identified is that we're favored for success. It says that God wants to enrich you in every way, but we can't stop there. Favor comes with a purpose, and there's more here. If we stop there, well, then it's just the prosperity gospel, and it's all about us, but it's not all about us. God doesn't bless us just for us. He blesses us to be a blessing. So let's read through this. The second core truth that I see and want to identify here is that we are managers, not owners. This is a really tricky one to get our heads around. Who supplies the seed when we read this? Who supplies the bread? He does. We know that even the soil in which seed grows, it belongs to God. We might use it for a time, but it's still his. And we could never make seed grow in and of ourselves. In the same way you read back in Deuteronomy when God's speaking to his people, and the scripture identifies this truth that says, don't forget that he is the one that gave you the ability 
to produce wealth. So all those brain skills you've got, all those things you learned in school, yes, you put in some effort. But let me just say, friends, by God's grace, by God's grace, he gives us that ability. And we are managers, not stewards. And I'm just, just thinking of a really good um, analogy for this. Um, does anybody own a car or a house and have a mortgage or a loan in the house? Okay, pull out your keys. Pull out those keys. Let's, uh, let's hear those keys. I want to hear some keys. Shake those keys. All right, okay. So let's just, let's just do this for a minute. Okay, so if right now we just stopped this instant and we were to go inspect, okay, your car and inspect your house, and I was to say, actually, you don't own it, you're a manager. And the condition of your house or your car matters, and now you've got to give an account for how it looks. How's everybody feel? Everybody wants to go clean their car in their house right now, right? Okay, I'm in the same boat, fair enough. But the point really is that In all fairness, if we have lending against it, we actually don't own it. Surprise, surprise, the bank does. So we are managers, not owners. And it changes our perspective when we consider that we have to give an account for the way that we manage or steward the things that God has entrusted us with. Am I right? I'm intentionally using the word manager because I think it links us very quickly to this piece of giving an account to an owner. And steward is a great word, and actually, when you break it down, means relatively the same thing, because stewardship is managing something that belongs to another. So we are stewards, but we're managers. So I want to look at Romans 13, or sorry, Romans eleven thirty six. It says this, it says, For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. You know, it's interesting because there's four times in here where it says him. And if we read in scripture and we understand something about numbers, the number four represents something or a truth being established. So you can read through scripture and we know that on the fourth day of creation, God created the material world. He finished the heavens and the earth. It was done. He finished the material world. There's the four faces of God. There's the four epistles of Jesus. It's a complete thing. So the point being is that God's establishing a truth that it's all about him. It's all about him. So the idea of us being managers is really all that we are, all that we have. It's all for him. And it's all about him. And he's blessed us to steward well everything that he's entrusted us with. Amen? This concept should change the way we view everything. So in the context of understanding, managing money God's way, we have to settle that we're managers or stewards. We're not owners. And that one day we do give an account for our stewardship. So what else? There's one more significant truth that's a foundational truth that we can't even look at the next handles I want to give you without understanding this one. And that is, friends, that you were created to give. You were created to give. The scripture says that he supplies seed to who? The sower. 
that he, so, he will supply and multiply your seed for what? For sowing. You will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way. You see, as his creation, we are created in his image, right? And we reflect his characteristics. And God is a giving God. God is an extravagant God. So I just highlighted this piece of God on the fourth day. He created the heavens and the earth. Just think of his extravagance in this one piece. On one of the days, here he is, and he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. And today, we're still looking up into the heavens. And we're still overwhelmed at how extravagant God's creation is. Are we not? We're still finding galaxy upon galaxy, and we're going, wow! And we're designing better and better technology to take pictures of the uttermost parts of the, of the universe, and it's still blowing our minds. This is God's extravagance. God is a generous God. He gives his best. For God so loved, he gave. He gave his son, his one and only. He gave his best. God's not stingy. We shouldn't be stingy people. We were created to be generous. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, generosity is in your DNA. God is a giver. It's, it's in your design. I mean, we've got some medical professionals in the house, and they'll probably tell you that actually, when you give, it stimulates endorphins in your brain, and oh my gosh, there's something really good that happens to you, even physically, when you give. It's literally in your design. God has created us to give. So these are the core truths. We can't go anywhere. We can't talk about the next step if we don't understand these three things. That you are favored for success. That we are managers, not owners. And that you've been created to give. Okay. Those are all sermons in their own right. And I want to encourage you that if you're struggling with any of those truths, go and dig into them. There is so much truth around those points. But for the sake of time and Father's Day, uh, I won't keep you here till 2 o'clock. Deal? All right. So 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to carry on. It says this, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. We're going to put a slide up, and it's slide 8. And I want to talk about what is seed, and I want to look at what is bread. So in the context of Scripture, seed is all that we earn. It's all that we have. And God calls us to steward seed well. And the principle of stewardship, um, the principle and understanding of seed goes across all currencies, all denominations. It doesn't matter what year we talk about it, what country we talk about it in. It doesn't even matter if they don't have currency. It could just be trade, which is fantastic. God's pretty smart. That actually seed represents anything that he's given us or entrusted us with. And what is bread? Well, bread is the portion that we need to eat. If we want to say sustained and live, we can't only store seed or sow seed. We have to live. We have to eat some bread. So bread represents food. And we have to be careful in this space to not get the two mixed up. And if you look at the diagram, you'll see that the the bread circle is smaller than the seed circle. 
This means that we have to learn to live within our means. We have to only eat out of what God has given us. You know, there's a very key thing for us in this when understanding seed and bread, and it's contentment. God has called us to be a content people. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You know, this is a bit contrary to what maybe the world around us would think of in the context of bread and seed. Uh, Really, the world would look at it of, well, the more you have, the more you eat. And it's not... It's not actually a biblical principle because did you know that bread doesn't satisfy? And if we don't pay attention to separating these two things, we just eat whatever there is, right? And how many of you know that you can have the most epic meal? Pick whatever your favorite meal is, all you quinoa salad lovers out there. Pick whatever your favorite meal is, okay? And you can eat it until you're stuffed and you feel sick and you got to go take a nap on the couch, I don't know if quinoa does that. I never eat that much. Um, But you can eat as much as you want, but you're always going to be hungry again. You're always going to be hungry again. You see, we can get into this frenzy of consuming and materialism, but we're always going to want more. We're always going to want the next and the best and the latest and the greatest. We're always going to want to upgrade. And, you know, we've been taught that that's kind of a show of success and that that's kind of how we're supposed to live, but that's not what God has for us. And if we want to manage money God's way, we've got to go back to his instructions on how to do this. And I just wanted to pause for a minute and say that this piece of consuming and constantly catching up, sometimes it leads people to take on debt. And I want to say that debt is deceitful, friends. We should not be a people that use debt to rent our lifestyle. We've got to be so careful that we don't use debt to fuel our lifestyle because debt brings bondage and it actually eats up our seed. It eats up our ability to sow. It eats up our ability to save. And it hinders us from walking in that favor that God has for us. I just want to say that if you do struggle with debt, um, and I don't often try and endorse things, but there's a, there's a guy, his name's Dave Ramsey. He's very direct, and I can't say I agree with everything he has to say, but he does have a podcast, and I just want to say, if you're struggling with debt, I want to encourage you, take a minute and listen to some truths. This guy is ruthless when it comes to debt, and he'll help you get out of debt. So he's a believer, and he's got a podcast that's worth listening to. His name's Dave Ramsey, and I just want to encourage you, if you're struggling with debt, there's a handle for you. So if you uh, take issue with him, come and chat with me. I can't say I agree with everything, but there's definitely some good truths in there, and I want to leave you with a handle. So we've established three significant truths. We talked about seed and bread. And the last piece for today that I want to touch on is I want to give you some handles on how to deal with seed. I want to give you four things that we need to do with seed. Now, there's a lot that we could touch on, but I'm just going to give you four. And it's going to come from the scriptures we've looked at. The first thing that we need to do with seed is store it. Now, I've got to get you into a kingdom mindset in the context of storing because most people when you think of store, you think of kind of saving and putting it in your bank account. 
actually, I want to look at it from a kingdom perspective because in the kingdom, storing is actually returning the tithe to the storehouse. Um, the scripture is clear that the storehouse refers to your local church, the place that you call home. It's your body, the place that you are loved, the place that you are cared for, the place that you are trained in, the place that you are equipped. So wherever your local church body is, friends, that's your storehouse. And let me show you Malachi 3.10. This isn't just Paul's good idea. Um, it says this, bring the full tithe into what? Into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Therefore, Put me to test, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God's way is to return tithe to the storehouse for kingdom purpose, to advance the gospel. That's God's plan. And our responsibility is simply to return tithe. We return out of what God has given us. Remember, he's entrusted us with everything. All we're doing is returning a fraction back to him for the further extension of his kingdom and his purpose. And the, the fraction is a tenth. Tithe means tenth. Proverbs 3.9 says that we are to honor the Lord with our first fruits and the first fruits of all our crops. So why should we tithe first? Why should we do that first? Why should that be the first thing that we do? Because it proves our priorities. It proves our priorities. It demonstrates that we're acknowledging God's provision in our lives when we return back a portion to him. And it sets our heart in the right place. It's that piece of acknowledging that actually all of this is about him. And it's about his purposes in and through us. So that's the first thing that we do with our finances is God tells us to tithe because it tests our heart. And if we look at scripture, we see that tithing goes way back to Abraham. And Abraham first tithes when he gives to Melchizedek and he gives a tenth. And we see that the priority actually starts before the law comes. A lot of folks wrestle with this, well, tithing is law, and Jesus came, and now we're under grace. But if we see, tithing actually predates law. It comes before that. And one of my favorite contexts to looking at Scripture and understanding where tithe is, is what Jesus says. How many want to know what Jesus says about the subject? Anybody? Maybe you don't. I can't spare. I get it. Okay. But let's see what he says, because there is freedom for us in this. But look at this. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The New Living Translation says it this way, You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Do not neglect the more important things. You see, tithing is just one aspect of what God has for us. And I think when we see in Scripture, there's evidence that this isn't about law. That actually, this is about God's purposes. It's about the extension of his kingdom. And it's funny, often when, um, when we wrestle through this 
because some of us have a hard time accepting this truth and reading it. And, you know, that common argument that comes is, well, you know, we are under grace. And I have to agree, we are under grace. God is so gracious. We are not coming to collect up a tithe and offering after this. Um, None of our eldership team is looking to see who's giving and who's not, and we're shaking your hand or not at the door. That is not happening in our community, friends. So this is absolutely about God's grace. But, you know, it's interesting that in that wrestle and the challenge of saying, well, we're under God's grace, it's not law, does it really have to be a tenth? And, you know, what's interesting is when Jesus came, And we looked at the context of the law, and he fulfilled it. But it's interesting, you know, when you look at the law and we see it say, hey, if you kill someone and you commit murder, you have sinned, and now we've broken the law, right? But look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you hate someone in your heart, you've already done that. Jesus raised the bar. He raised the bar. He said, actually, it's not even so much about an outward appearance. It's not even so much about the act. It's actually about what's happening inside your heart. That is what matters. That is what God is looking at. So in this context around tithing, friends, God is looking at our hearts. And he wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants to be set aside as first. And I just want to encourage you that God is faithful with this piece. The first thing you do, us setting aside and storing and tithing to the storehouse. God is faithful. And I want to encourage you, start with wherever you at in that, in that space. If you want a practical handle, do it automatically. There's just a really practical handle. It's, you know, we're really good at, you know, setting up for payments for things automatically. You can actually set it up so that tithing just happens automatically. And often when that's the case, you don't see it and you usually don't miss it. So I just want to give you a handle, okay? Because that is a really helpful one. But remember that the purpose of this is for the workers of the ministry so that we can reach this city, so that we can see people saved, set free, delivered. They can be gathered, healed, trained, and equipped. That's God's plan for this. Okay, I have to move on. So what's the next thing we do? You got the first thing. The next thing we do is that we have to separate the seed from the bread. We have to separate it. Remember, bread is for lifestyle needs. We should be defining what our family needs. Budgeting is a good thing. I promise it is not a five-letter swear word. Kind of feels like that to me. I'm just being honest. I hate budgeting. But that's a reality. We should budget. And I'm the first to say that I need to do that too. But it is a reality. Expenses and things should be accounted for, saved for, and purchased within our means. We shouldn't just be doing things on a whim because the next latest and greatest is there. So we need to separate. And if we need to scale back um, and we are realizing that we're eating more bread than we have money for, we need to cut back our intake. And that's a good thing. Remember, contentment. Contentment is a good thing. Be ruthless. Um, If you want some practical things, some people go, well, how much should I try and be separating when it comes to seed? Um, You know, how do I define what is seed? I just, here's a really good target. After you've tithed and now you're looking at whatever's in your account and you're ready to figure out what you can afford to to live on, I would encourage you to say that, hey, at least 10% of that at a minimum should be a target for stuff that you separate out as seed. That's a really good target. 
Now, that's what I see, and that's what I believe, and it's an encouragement, and if you want to wrestle through it, I think it would be great to say that, hey, get to a much higher number, but that's a target. So there's a practical. Shoot for at least 10% of that. Just want to notice one thing, though, in the context of, of setting aside seed, is that that seed we save for two purposes. We save for sowing, which is giving, but we also save and store seed for what God wants to do in our lives. It's actually prudent to do that. But if you look on that column, you see that silo there? Notice that it's all blue. What that means is everything that we save is still God's. It's all still his. All of it. So I just want to say that a really practical way to separate this out is to get it out of the normal account right away. Get it out. Get it into that silo so you don't look at it and you don't accidentally spend it. Just move the seed out. You don't want to mix seed with your bread. Whoever invented these ridiculous breads with a hundred different seeds in it? Oh my gosh. Give me something simple that's just good, solid, white bread. Come on. Like a good sourdough or something or maybe rye. Like I get the seeds out of the bread, okay? We got to get the seed out of the bread. Separate it. Do it right away. Do it automatically. And remember that what we're setting aside, it's for two things. Saving for ourselves, but also saving for giving. And that it's all his. And we need to be intentional about that. So the next thing for a handle for us is that we need to save seed. Okay, I want to talk about the saving side for a minute. Savings is biblical. I mean, I love the story of Joseph. When you, when you see he gets a, a vision from the Lord and he saves for seven years. And then there's seven years of famine. But because he was obedient to follow a biblical principle that God was teaching him and teaching us today, that savings is a good thing, hey, the people didn't starve. And actually, they had more than enough to sustain their nation and impact other nations. Savings is biblical. Proverbs 13.11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Proverbs 6.68 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and it gathers food in harvest. So we're to save, not just for ourselves, but also to give. God tells us to save. And in the context of him increasing our seed, when we're faithful with little, the scripture says that he wants to increase our seed. He wants to give us more. That's God's intention. And savings actually proves that we can be entrusted with the more. And not just money. God uses this as a way to test us with everything he wants to trust us with. So savings is important. And just practically, I just want to say be wise when you save. Um, There's wisdom in getting counsel. Go and seek professional advice in the context of savings. We should be prudent. That's good stewardship. There is literally parables that talk about stewarding well and savings well. We should be getting return. Our saved money needs to be making money. So practically, here's a really good handle. Save automatically. You get getting a picture here. When you do things automatically, there's not extra seed just hanging around. Save automatically. Make it happen automatically. Have it go directly into some form of an investment. Get some advice on that. Okay, 
sow it. The next thing that we need to do, this is the last thing I'm going to touch on, that we need to sow seed. It's all well and good for us to save it. It's all well and good for us to have it sitting aside. But actually, seed is activated when we sow it. Seed is activated when we sow it. So 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You know, in the NIV, I love what it says. It says that we can be generous on every occasion. Somebody say every occasion. This is what God has for us. But we need to be intentional. I'll tell you right now, if we want to be generous on every occasion, you can't do it unless you follow these other steps. And you're not going to do it unless you have those biblical foundational core truths established in your life. But God's desire is that you should be generous on every occasion. And its generosity is actually a way that we extend the kingdom of God. You know, here's a really good practical thing in the context, and this is something that my wife and I have um, implemented in our lives. But specifically around generosity, one of the things that we've done, and maybe this will help you, maybe it won't. um, We actually have a separate account specifically that we have money go into automatically. Remember, get it out of your account. And the purpose of that account is solely to give it away. The only thing we do with that is give it away. And what's amazing is that it intentionally prepares us to be generous. And now it's just a matter of praying and talking to God and going, hey, what are you saying, God? What should I give? Where should I give? What is it that you want to do? And I'll tell you right now that all this does is prime giving. It primes us for giving. Because whatever you set aside there, that's something absolutely we've accounted for it. But remember that everything that we have is seed. And often what ends up happening is we've got a little bit saved and God finds us something much bigger and directs us toward giving. And, well, it eats up that seed, which is what it's intended for, for sowing. And then it kind of taps into some other things for us. But, guys, this is what God has. So if you want a practical handle to start right away, set aside some money specifically for giving and start trusting God for opportunity to do it. It will change your life around sowing. I want to encourage you in that. But do remember it's not all seed. Or sorry, don't, do remember that it is all seed and that it's not only just that small portion. So you can't just look at it and go, well, that's the only portion we have to give. Remember, God calls us to have an open hand. This just primes the outflow for us. So there's lots of forms that we can give. And I just want to touch on these and we're going to end with this piece. Uh, I think it's helpful that you see that there's a few different ways that we can be generous and that we can give. The first one is just plain and simple generosity. Remember, generosity on every occasion. Whenever there's opportunity, God calls us to be generous. So the first green circle I'm looking at here is just generosity. That God says that we're to just give. And it's a blessing to give. We can give on every occasion to people around us, to different things that are happening. We're just to be a generous people. So there's just straight giving. The next thing to highlight is a bit more intentional, and this is offering. 
So in Scripture, and even as we were reading in 2 Corinthians, the context of 2 Corinthians is an intentional offering, something given from a body of believers to another body of believers. An offering is something that's done in partnership with a local church. And it's something that we do out of worship and devotion to God. It's about committing to His purposes, and we give, and it's usually something that costs us. An offering is something that costs us. We feel it. We give an offering not under compulsion, and we do it without the expectation of anything in return. And it can look like you partnering with a local church like our community, and it could mean that maybe God's directing our church to bless a specific family, a specific cause. Maybe it's the Grace Orphanage that we really feel that's what we want to do as a community. Maybe it's a capital project there where we need to raise some money in the house for um, some things that we need so that we can function, like a building, you know, like things that are required in order for us to actually gather and do the work of the ministry. This is a great example of offering. So another, another thing that we can give into is apostolic giving. So apostolic giving is specifically something that helps facilitate the, plantis, the planting and establishing of churches. So Mike and Deborah are part of a, the apostolic ministry team through New Covenant Ministries. Katie and I also have the privilege of serving on that team. And we get to go to some of these churches and operate in apostolic um, role where we get to go and sow and bless and go and just give into those spaces. And actually, apostolic giving is an opportunity for us to partner with what God is doing in that space. And I just want to encourage you, if you're a businessman or woman in the house, I want to encourage you to dig into this, please, because if we get a revelation as business people that have been trusted with, with finance, that we can open big doors for the ministry of the gospel. We can open big doors. And that's actually something that as a business person, God has in your wheelhouse. So I want to encourage you with that. And if you're interested to hear more, come and chat with me. Because that's something I'm passionate about. I want to see the gospel reach the ends of the earth. Do you? All right. The last one that I want to highlight is almsgiving. This is us giving to the poor. You know, the scripture says that we will always have people that are poor, that are down and out, that are in need around us. We're never going to create this utopia society that everybody is looked after perfectly. And you know what? It's just not going to happen. There's always going to be poor on this earth. And that doesn't mean that we now say, ah, forget it. It's always going to be that. Absolutely not. What does Jesus say? He says in Matthew 5, 6, 3, that we're to give to the poor. But he doesn't say when you, he doesn't say if you give to the poor. He says when you give to the poor. One of our mandates for giving is actually to help those in need. That's one form of giving that God has for us. So I just want to encourage you in all of these things, God has grace for you. But his purposes stand. He wants to bless you. He wants to show you favor. What are those foundational truths? That God's desire is to favor you for success. That we are managers, not owners. That we've been created to give. And in the context of handles for you, what do we do with seed? What do we do with what he's entrusted us with? How do we manage money God's way? 
We store it, we separate it, we save it, and we sow it. When we follow God's ways, the scripture's clear. The storehouse of heaven opens and God pours down. And with finances and with, with the blessing that God wants to give us, it just goes to fuel the extension of his kingdom. Amen? And that is his purpose for us, friends, to see his kingdom extended, his name made great, and we get to partner with him. Amen? I just want to take a minute here. We're not going to do some worship after. I just want to say that if you're feeling stirred to do better at managing money God's way, I just want to ask you to stand and I want to pray for you. Can we do that? Can you stand? If you feel stirred to manage money better and you want to do this God's way, why don't you stand? I want to pray for you this morning. God, we just thank you that on Father's Day, we are reminded that you are the good father, the father that gives extravagantly, the father that blesses us incredibly. And God, we just pause to acknowledge you and say, this is all about you. You are a good father. Thank you for your favor towards us. God, as people stand in response to you this morning, to want to honor you with their finances and to manage them better for you, God, we just ask that you pour out your grace, that you pour out your favor. God, we thank you that, God, that you have so much that you want to do through these people. And we ask you, Lord, that you give them courage to do this your way, that you give them courage to go back to the instruction manual and follow your ways, God. I just thank you, Lord, that you give us instruction, Lord, that you don't leave us to follow blindly or do it without a clue, but you give us, you give us instruction and you lead us and you guide us. And we just ask you for just such grace and favor in the house, Lord. And we are trusting for an outpouring. God, we are trusting for just your radical outpouring from heaven, God, that we can see your kingdom established through these people. We just ask that you honor them, Lord, even as they stand today and say, we want to do this better. God, that we would be a church in this house that's known for sowing, that's known for generosity. We want to be that people. And we just ask that as we go out from here today, God, that you give us opportunity, that you give us opportunity to sow in these various areas and ways. And God, that you direct people to impact lives for you through finances. In your precious name, amen.